Welcome to episode 15 of Theology.fm. I am your host, Jeremy Myers. In this episode of Theology.fm, Darren and Hans talk about something I've often toyed with doing myself, but I've never really seriously considered doing, mainly because, probably because I don't have the time or energy to do it because of my full-time job. But uh, it's something I've always sort of been hoping or dreaming that I would hear of somebody else who did it. And now, Darren and Hans are planning on doing it. What is that? What am I talking about? Darren and Hans, and one of their other friends, is thinking of planting a church with the purpose of helping people get a revelation of God to help them see they don't actually need that Sunday morning style of church anymore. (laughs) Uh, In other words, they're going to start a Sunday morning service to help people see that they don't need a Sunday morning service. Uh, It's a church to help people see that we don't need to attend church because we are the church. In my book, Close Your Church for Good, which actually hasn't even been published yet, but make sure you sign up over at redeeminggod.com slash subscribe to get updates for when it's out. Uh, I, I hope to publish it later this year so you can get updates over there on that. But in that book that will be coming out later this year, I've been writing it for seven years, by the way, writing and editing. Anyway, I, I write in that book, or I, well, you will see I write in that book, about how I think that all church plants and all church programs should have an expiration date on them. And it seems that churches often get planted, uh, and then church programs get started, and they have these wonderful purposes and wonderful significance initially, Uh, And they even go a long way in accomplishing those significant and and important purposes that, you know, God has laid on someone's heart or mind to accomplish. People's lives get changed. The gospel is shared. People are brought into the kingdom of God and shown a new way to live. But then what happens over time is as the church continues on or the program is not canceled, it, 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 it completes its purpose. It serves its purpose, but then it just continues on forever and ever and ever. So I write in my book, this Close Your Church for Good book that will be coming out later this year, hopefully. All this can be avoided by planting churches or only starting church programs if we begin with the end in mind. If we firmly and resolutely stamp an expiration date on whatever church plant or church program we start. Anyway, I've never really seen anyone actually do that, but it sort of sounds by what Darren and Hans describe in this this podcast I'm going to share with you today that this is what they are thinking of doing when they plant their church in Tacoma, Washington. Uh, They know that most Christians feel they absolutely, positively must attend a Sunday morning service activity in order to be pleased and accepted by God. And and, and they also know that the message about living in a genuine day-to-day relationship with God outside the four walls of institutional Christianity is really not something that most Christians are prepared to hear. I think that most Christians feel the sense, that the tugging, the pull of the Holy Spirit, of what Jesus is doing in this world on their heart and mind to sort of break out and try something new, but they're just not ready. They're they're maybe too afraid, or they just have that sense of guilt or responsibility that they must be involved in that Sunday morning activity that most people call church. 
Um, so Darren and Hans know that, that many people are getting this, this religious message in their church. It's full of duty, obligation, fear, guilt, shame, manipulation. And so what they want to do is plant a church so that people who have that sense of duty, obligation, fear, shame, and guilt, and all that, have a place to go. But when they're there, they will hear the message of God's unconditional love, unconditional grace for the first time, and how to really live as the body of Christ in the world. And uh, probably they're thinking this will take, this process, teaching them, the people who come, this, this process will take about nine months, maybe a year. And then after that, what they sort of indicate is that they will graduate people out of this church service, this Sunday morning church service, so that they can go and live their lives as God wants them to, outside of religion. So, I don't know. You know, frankly, I don't actually know if Darren and Hans are going to be able to pull this off. But I'm going to love watching them try and maybe learning along with them as they do. If you're confused really about what I'm talking about, how this would work, uh, how they would do it, the podcast I want to share with you today sort of introduces some of this. They don't give a whole lot of details, probably because they don't really know a lot of the details themselves. But there is enough just to explain sort of the what and the why. And I find it interesting, and I think you might too. Before we get to that, though, I do want to invite you uh, I'm sort of self-sponsoring this podcast episode. I've got, I don't know, five or six books I'm trying to put out this year in 2016. One of them is almost ready to go out. It's on the atonement. And uh, if you if you are thinking that God wanted to kill Jesus Christ, that God required the death of Jesus so that God could forgive sin, so that God could look upon sinful humanity again. You really are going to want to read this, this book that I've got coming out, hopefully by the end of the month, end of March anyway, uh, before Easter. And um, it's on the atonement, on why Jesus had to die and what his death means for us today, for our theology, and for our lives. So um, the, the way you can get updates and notifications about that is by subscribing to my free email newsletter, Go to redeeminggod.com slash subscribe, and you will get updates about that book and all future books as they come out. And just for subscribing, I'm going to be sending you, I don't know, I think it's three free ebooks, one of mine and two from some other people that you can read as well uh, whenever you want. So uh, that's at redeeminggod.com slash subscribe, and you'll get notifications about my future ebooks coming out. Also, you know, some, some of the things I'm writing about and we'll be able to keep in contact. And that that's also enables you to contact me and get in touch with me if you want as well. So, so that's redeeminggod.com slash subscribe. Thank you for, if you've already subscribed, thank you for doing that. I'm really looking forward to putting this book out on the atonement uh, in March. So with all that uh, in mind, let us listen in to what Darren and Hans are talking about with this church plant that they want to do up in Tacoma, Washington. I'm Darren Hufford. And I am Hans Funk. And we're both very good-looking men. I, That's right. I know you can tell by our voices, but it's not just yeah, voices with the, us. Use the low voice today. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, I, I had this epiphany in the middle of the night last night. I was telling my wife about it this morning. I don't even know what I brought it on. I'm, I'm laying in bed. It's like 2 in the morning. I don't know why I even come back to this. You know, I, I have a feeling there's maybe that little boy that wants acceptance and approval from family members still in me somewhere, though sure. I'm, you know, I turned 50 here and coming up in April. And there's this piece of me that still asks myself, why don't they believe me? In terms hmm. of my family, like, 
Sure. Why? Because, you know, now my family's very hush-hush about it, so they never outwardly say anything negative yeah. about me anymore. Politics Since I got out of the hospital, it's like, let's just be nice to him and not piss him off. And, okay. And But but there's clearly this general sense that, that uh, I'm crazy, I'm... You know, I'm teaching all these things that are directly opposed to everything we learned our entire life. Sure. Um, and I, I'm like thinking, why? Why don't they believe me? Mm-hmm. And and it just kind of becomes abundantly clear all of a sudden. And I don't know if it's a God thing or if it was just me having a moment of clarity. But it was like, mm-hmm. here here is why. is because they're convinced that what you teach about the heart of God and about church mm-hmm. and about religion and about the whole system of things in that world and how it is destructive towards people, they're convinced that you're speaking out of anger because you were hurt hmm. by the institution because it didn't serve you well. It's sure. either that. I think it's a lot of that. You're speaking out of anger. And Christians from a very early age in the institutional system are implanted. They don't remember it happening. It happened one day, I think, when they were at the altar crying their eyes out. Somebody came up behind them and planted them with a microchip somewhere <laughs> in their brain. Yeah. Toward the moment anybody sounds impassioned sure. or, or angry, God forbid, about yeah. anything, the moment that happens, that computer chip launches a firewall in their brain that immediately shuts all systems down, and they say, we will not listen to a word this man says. He's speaking out of anger, and anybody who's angry uh-huh. is of the devil. And uh-huh. and so so I think a lot of them, they I think they believe that if I would get over uh, whatever it was that happened to me in the church world that made me so upset mm-hmm. and forgive that then my eyes would be opened and I would see, of course, that everything they've been doing is, is you know, is, mm-hmm. is wonderful and in God's eyes and it's right. Yeah. Um, so I, I come to the, glu- the conclusion that it's, it's that or with my family, I think they believe because I was the middle child and I, I always would say shocking things and be sure. loud and, and my middle child does the same thing. It's like, sure. you know, it's not like I would was I threw up, but it's like I threw up a hundred gallons. You know, yeah. that's how she talks. It's a yeah. middle child way of talking. And I think part of them are convinced, well, he's trying to be um, loud. He's trying to shock people. He's trying to draw attention into himself. He's mm-hmm. trying to cause controversy. And when he sees that, he feels a sense of power. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that's what they would say. If you could get into their brains. The middle kid syndrome. Right. Yeah. But everywhere in them, there is... Um, a clear defense system that's set up against hearing this from me that says, um, we won't even listen to what he's saying. Mm -hmm. Basically, what I said to my wife was, I said, I don't think that they've ever really considered that this is what I really believe. Mm Mm-hmm. I think they. Be- I think they think sure. I believe it because I'm mad, or I believe it because I want attention. I believe I know sure. how they see me. So, but I don't think they've ever stopped to really consider. I really believe what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And and uh, anyway, having said that, let's lay that off to the side here. Um, you know, I announced on the Facebook on my <laughs> Facebook yeah. page. Uh, yeah, those of you who are on my Facebook page, uh, you know that that Hans and. Brandon and myself were talking about, you know, doing something. I'm very vague on it and everything. And mm-hmm. so we'll kind of announce this isn't an official announcement. This, this is more or less the idea that the three of us are kicking around. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would love your comments uh, on the page. I would love to know what people think. Some, some I suspect will be completely against this idea. Um, 
Others, I think, will be all for it, you know. But, you know, we're, we're talking about starting uh, something like that will look like a church. Yep. Um, and you know, anybody hearing that for me is like, oh, great. Wah, wah. Well, uh, you know, and, and I understand that, you know. Sure. But, but you know, I, I'm, I, I have a passion to spread this. Hans, you have a passion. I yeah. know to spread this. I know Brandon does. Brandon's chomping at the bit. And, and really, it's like, okay, here we live here in our town. And the fact is, is no one is going to hear this unless they either tune into our podcast show or mm-hmm. happen to fall upon... You know, the very few books that mm-hmm. are teaching this, mm-hmm. um, or they happen to accidentally knock on my front door. Sure. Um, Trip, slip, and fall into the Hufford uh, Exactly. Uh, or knock on your door. Yeah. Or knock on yeah. Brandon's door. Yeah. And, and it's like, you know, I happened to stop into a church several months ago. I went into a Sunday school class, and I was so yeah. sickened by what I heard that when I came out, I came home that day, and I told my wife, I do believe I have to start something. That looks like a church, smells like a church, mm-hmm. uh, and you know has every appearance. And the reason is, is because I do not believe that people will come to hear me speak if they think it is um, anti-church, which mm-hmm. it's not. Um, because that computer chip in their brain is ready to shut down at any That's sign it. that you're going to lead me astray. So in my mind, if we start something that is that it, that looks exactly like what people are used to with worship, mm-hmm. with um, but in doing that, deliver the truth about God's heart, mm-hmm. and over a about a year, eight months to a year period, methodically and slowly. Um, just talk about the heart of God yeah. and show show who he is. You know, you have heard it said that he is this way, but I mm-hmm. tell you, he is this way. Mm-hmm. And it's the same. It's the love series. It's the misunderstood God. Mm-hmm. Um, and and my plan is, and what, what the three of us have talked about, is to slowly um, not preach an anti-church message at no. all, but preach a this is who he really is message. And in getting that revelation, they themselves will come to their own conclusions. Yeah. But then after a year of this or eight months or however long this would take to bring people through, to walk them through this, um, basically stop it, take three months off mm-hmm. and start the same I love thing. That idea. Yeah. Um, so it's not something that, okay, you know, you got to keep coming. I mean, you're literally, you graduate mm-hmm. at the end of this time. You want to go back, you're welcome to go back, mm-hmm. but now you'll go back with a whole new understanding. You won't go back with this mentality that, you know, I got to go to church or God will be mad or I got to give my money or God will turn his back on sure. me. Um, you'll go back free. You'll either go back or you won't go. I mean, the whole idea is not to set them free from church, but to set them free from the religious uh, bondage that many churches put on yeah. people and to bring them closer to the heart of God. Yeah. And so anyway, I'd love people's ideas. But anyway, my purpose in um, even telling the, <coughs> the story at the beginning is you and I were talking before we even started got on here. Is, yeah. You know, when you get a new revelation of the heart of God, you get this new revelation of who he really is, that he will never leave you, that he mm-hmm. not only loves you, but he likes you. He likes who you are. Mm-hmm. He adores you. When you start to really grasp that and understand that, you begin to look back at the way you were raised religiously and you begin to say, whoa, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. This is not right. And you begin to see it quite clearly and it just happens naturally. Mm-hmm. I mean, but but then once you do that, the couple of years go by 
And then you just very flippantly say, oh, you know, religion kills you, it destroys you, and you just talk this way all the time. So it's very tempting whenever you approach people, uh, that's your message, that religion kills, religion controls, all they want is your money. And that's not the message. The message was, who is God really? And that's what we're wanting to provide people the opportunity to hear by creating an environment that they are comfortable with. Mm that will be a church that they can come to. Now, we all know that we are the church, yeah. but creating something that they will be comfortable going to without feeling like they're betraying the way they were raised and then slowly and methodically uh, changing their hearts about who he is and yeah. taking out the fear and, and you know replacing it with certainty. And anyway. Well, that's, I, I don't know that I would have the capacity to say a lot of things nowadays that are, are in my heart about uh, church or the Bible or whatnot. Mm-hmm. If I hadn't had the opportunity to verbally process it with you, um, with different people who I love and care about and yeah. are open enough not to be absolutely, you know, dogmatically yeah. attached to their doctrines. And uh, I, I feel like um, from pastors, a, a lot of pastors I know <laughs> would benefit from actually getting to question no. things that that they've had to live with for years and they know are not are just not. Yeah. They 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 know that the only way that this works is if everybody believes it, and if everybody doesn't believe it, it doesn't work. Yeah. And that's not real. And and so when we're talking about church, um, I think. I think people who are insecure, I think people who, who haven't thought this out, I think most most Christians, most of us who are Christians have never thought out the explanation for our faith. That's why when you go to college, a philosophy professor can undress your yeah. faith in yeah. a matter of minutes a yeah. lot of times, and you, you feel naked in front of them because you have nothing to say, because you've never thought it out. And and a lot of the things that we're taught and a lot of, a lot of the uh, the doctrines that we live by um, only work if everybody kind of comes together and drinks the Kool-Aid together. Well, you're right. They, they are based on a peer pressure, and yes. most people won't admit that. And no, of course not. A lot of people don't even realize that they're being controlled well, by peer pressure. No. But but it is there. Insecurity works that way. We live in a world, mm-hmm. uh, in the religious world, where it is 90% peer pressure. You yes. know, I've always said yes. that the fear of rejection is the power yeah. of religion. Yes. If you're afraid of being rejected, it's your leverage. Power well, excommunication. Yeah. I mean, Exclusivity and ex- and excommunication yeah. work hand in hand. Just those cross-eyed looks, like you're a yeah. little off, or you're, you're you yeah. Know, I know it all. Uh, and, and if you fear that, then you'll toe the line. Uh, we uh, getting together with people and and talking. One of my goals for our pub group has always been to create a place where you can teach that disagreement doesn't mean I don't like you. Yeah. Uh, I love to see people who realize, one, I completely accept what you're saying, and I completely disagree with it. And that means we have something to talk about. Yeah. We have something to enjoy. And um, what, part of what you're talking about, church requires this the, a lot of blind and dogmatic agreement that, that, does, yeah. that you can't that, – that there is no security in that. And when I say that, what I mean is you're not comfortable with that. It's an incredibly uncomfortable truth because – it's based in this, this um, yes, this very fragile agreement that, like I said, only works if I'm talking to somebody that agrees with me. Well, this, I, I think the reason, the reason, though, why, when there's a disagreement between two people uh-huh. in a church setting, the reason why that cannot be is because you are running a business together. Yeah. Uh, in a sense, yeah, we are no, in this right. business together. Yeah. But but now, if you and I right. are just friends that work together, yeah, 
Yeah. Um, we have different beliefs about the heart of God or about, you know, we can get along great and yes. be great friends. But if we're at a, in a church setting, it's like, no, now this is an institution and we must all agree. And there's that thing yes. in us and our humanness that, that thinks we've got to think that well, way. Well, this is why, and this is why I think something like this, especially, and I'm not, if, you know, depending on where you're listening from, the Northwest is an area that is so confused in what it believes because everybody's beliefs, everybody's beliefs have the same value and merit as well as everybody's beliefs are true. And so when you, when you come into this area, it's a very open and like open-minded and open-hearted environment, which on one hand is good because no. people are very sensitive and open to the spirit. But on the other hand is very tough no. because in, in terms of, of speaking to people in, in concepts of truth, when we talk about God, the, the, uh, the church realm has been having to deal with this openness for a long time. And they are, they're so hard to, to break into with this. And when I say that, what I mean is in terms of an idea, like bringing people together, we need like, I think all Christians, no matter who you are, need a place where they can actually talk out what they believe, yeah. where they can hear a message and be friend, like literal, what you were just talking about, be literal friends with the people that they're with so that they can talk out questions that may like, like plague them as opposed to just get teaching and just have to agree and just have to, when they say, when they realize I don't totally understand or agree with this, have to kind of keep their mouth shut because if they open it, then somebody's like you said. Yeah, look at the cross side, yeah. and you become an outsider as opposed to an insider. Yeah. And and that is such a needed thing for not just for places like this too. I think it's needed everywhere. I think the 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 open the the ability to openly share where we agree, where we disagree, and where we don't understand, and where we do understand. I think that that place in church is so needed as opposed to just those who understand the word and those who don't, quote unquote. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I'm convinced that. That rather than approaching this from the angle of, look, they're wrong here, or no. this system is controlling you, or this system is providing fake relationships, this system, because there's a million charges that, that I could bring against Those words do come out of us every now and then. That, oh, that, they do. That's, that's something that does happen. And I'm not saying that's, that we're wrong. I'm saying it because the audience that we're speaking to through this podcast already are people who already get it. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, but in terms of uh, talking to fresh people for the first time, mm -hmm. those words will cause that little microchip in their brain to go off, to cause the firewall to yes. go off, and that'll be it. And, yes. and really, that is not the revelation. And I, I always fear that anyone will ever think the revelation is how wrong the institution of church has been over the years. That is not the revelation. The revelation has always been the heart of God, who he really is, how mm -hmm. he really sees you, yeah. uh, his real personality. And when you begin to unfold that to people, it is so funny. It's like you're, you're revealing to them the name of the song that for the last 20, 30, yeah. 40, 50 years, they've been humming and saying, what's the name of that song? And suddenly you give that name and there's that freedom that rushes over them. They're like, I lay awake at night because I hum the song, but I can't remember the name. And now you just gave me the name. So yeah. when you show them who he really is. You're not teaching them something no. new. You're showing them what they already know, and then you're giving them the control of their own lives in terms of realizing, I knew this all along. Why did I ever listen to things that scared me about him or things that caused me to cower away from him when I knew it? That's my goal, is to show them mm -hmm. that they know his heart. Mm -hmm. 
give them the confidence to walk in that knowing that I know him, I hear him because they do. <laughs> and and then turning them loose. Whatever they do, it's up to them. This isn't about church or not. Yeah. Um, but what we want to start will look like a church only for the purpose of making people feel comfortable to show up and to listen for no other purpose. Yeah. Um, we don't, we're not there to make money. No. <laughs> uh, you know, we we fact, all have our own incomes. We're not worried about that. We're, yeah, whatever comes in is just there to pay for the, uh, the ability to do it. Which will so, be very, very minimal, minimal costs. Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, exactly. We're not there for any control. We don't want to start counseling services. No. Um, <laughs> in fact, the opposite. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I certainly, there's no part of me that wants to take on the traditional pastoral uh, role where I'm visiting uh, Grandma Smith in the hospital. You know, I don't know your Grandma Smith. Your yeah. Grandma Smith wants to be visited by. By you, not by me. That's right. I don't want to start marrying people and burying people. You know, all of that yeah. stuff. We're gonna we're gonna sort of distance ourselves from. But anyway, the, these are the ideas we have. We haven't done it. We we're, we're in the talks of it. Yeah, um, it's in the formation phase. It's still in that place of, it of kind yeah. of working itself out. And then so. on a side note, I'll say, and I, and I'll just throw this out there. And I was talking to a pastor friend of mine about doing this. You mm-hmm. know. And, and uh, and he he was really gung ho. He was like, mm-hmm. I think it's a great idea, you know. And but he also suggested, and this is something you might think about too. He he said, I uh, said, pastors out there, you know, pastors are in such bondage and such condemnation and mm-hmm. such anguish. If you know, I, I I grieve when I hear free believers maybe on the Facebook page going off on pastors like they're all in it for the money and they're all <laughs> you know they just want control. They think they're always right. <laughs> if they had any idea the pressure these men it's and true. women are under as a pastor, but in addition to the pressure to be perfect, the pressure to be holier than everyone else in the mm-hmm. congregation, I mean, all those things they're under, mm-hmm. there is also this this list of expectations that every pastor has been raised with. Mm-hmm. Um, the expectation that you, because of your teaching and because of your leadership, will bring people closer to God. Hmm. That ain't going to yeah. happen. Yeah. The expectation that once they get your message, they will have warmer relationships with one another. That ain't going to happen. Yeah. The expectation that if they're getting this, that when the worship plays, they'll be jumping and screaming to God and not just standing there. Well, let me tell you, that's not going to happen. So pastors are plagued with a million expectations of things that will never happen. And mm-hmm. over years of living that way as a pastor, you begin to feel like such a failure. Like, mm-hmm. so, And then you go to a, a pastor, a, a friend of yours church, and the people seem happier. They seem, you mm-hmm. know, warmer. And, you know, you, you, it's like I heard once Joyce Meyer talked about how you compare uh, your weaknesses to other people's strengths. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you, you view it all wrong and you leave feeling even more like a failure. Yeah. So long story short, my friend, he's, my friend basically suggested, he said, in addition to this, he said, I want to suggest that you open your heart to pastors flying out and maybe staying with you um, almost like a retreat for a week and just getting away and just spending time and you can sort of relieve them of those expectations so Mm -hmm. they can return and and really you know lead people towards the heart of god rather than lead people in in a business um, yeah and and with expectations that are never going to be reached that's it i (laughs) this is i've thought this about you since i met you initially when i met you i i wasn't totally sure of your uh like the conditionality of your relationship with the church you know but i've always viewed you as pastoral 
I, I don't think you can, Darren, I don't think you can escape from that. Why? Because I think that that's one of the gifts that God put in your heart. And pastors who are currently pastoring churches that are involved in the business or the, the institutionality of church are in, like, they're not in more need, but the ramifications that are in their life a lot of times are much greater than their congregation. And we talk about the congregations all the time here. We talk yeah. about people that, that are in the bondage of in, the institutional mindset. And the pastors, they, it's almost like they are literally, they're not drinking poison. They are poisoned yeah. by the, the constant requirements of being Christ, of literally doing something. They were never, their bodies and their minds and their hearts were never designed to do well and that's that's a great way to put it and i'll tell you this is why i grieve let me tell you 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 go to a church and you think they're controlling Mm -hmm. and and (laughs) you may bitch and complain about you know the way oh they'll give me a bad look if i do this or step out of line you try being the pastor of that church who has every the only friends he has are other pastors yeah and and you can't (laughs) step outside of the lines you'll be blackballed by and the pressure mm-hmm. for a pastor to follow along those lines and say the things that even he may not agree with, he could lose yeah. his license. Yeah. If suddenly he looks at and says, I don't believe tithing is a New Testament principle. <laughs> you, if, if you're an Assembly of God pastor... You think of this. You're you're an assembly of God pastor. Yeah. You have got a church that's running fine, and you stand up and say something like that. Mm-hmm. You will lose your livelihood. You will lose. Oh yeah. Whereas anyone else in your congregation who says something like that, it, there's, there's no skin. It's a discussion. Yeah. It, it, it opens a discussion. You can't even yeah. bring it up as a pastor. I mean, the yeah. level of control in their lives is so powerful. These guys are so hurting. But yeah. my biggest concern is the way in which they feel like failures. Yes. Um, and, and the way they themselves um, want a revelation well, of the Well, you're set up from, from the moment of school. You literally, I mean, oh the, the expectations that are placed on you by your education alone yeah. put you in a position that is, you have all, I don't mean to say this as if I'm accusing somebody of failing, but you've already failed. Yeah. The feeling of failure is is the recognition that you can't fulfill the duties that have been placed in front of you simply because they are not the right duties. No, the, right. And, and we, we talk about this a lot, and I'm not, I am in no way putting someone down. I, I, you've done it. I've done it. I, I've worked as a pastor for a very long time. I'm still in detox. I am literally still in the place of trying to learn, not, not in always the best way, how not to be a pastor. Yeah. And, and a lot of this, when we talk about failure, is because we were never designed. We, we, and I, I've already said that a couple of times, but you, you have already failed at the outset of your of your duties because it was impossible because it's impossible yeah. and you can by the way you you read that in the bible you literally read these words the bible that is accepted as the cornerstone of our philosophy and of our call you read those words and yet you you there are so many different ways to sidestep those words yeah. and and sideline them and and Put, your, put yourself in that place of constant, almost like depression, because you can't get what you need. It's sitting out there. And you watch people who, because I, I think of the, you, you said a few minutes ago, you were talking about the fact that, you know, uh, 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 
that they want to see worship create a, a congregation that's jumping up and down and things sure. like that, and, yeah. and that you want to give an altar call that people are going to run to the altar, and you want to give a sermon that's going to be the right message, and you want to do all these things. It is almost more damning to watch these poor men who do have that, because I, I can think of there's there's multiple people in my brain right now. One of them here from here in the northwest that is is a suffering person right now because he was the biggest church pastor in the Northwest because he did develop churches from here down to California that were all on simulcast. And he ended up in a situation where he had drunk enough of his own Kool-Aid. And I, by the way, I totally believe in this guy. Mm -hmm. I think he's a wonderful man. I love his sermons. I think he's, I think he's provocative. He's a Calvinist, so I don't totally agree with him, but I mean, like I I connect with him and yet Success is almost more damning in this situation than the failure, because what you end up is I agree. It, it insulates itself. You end up insulated from the reality that what you're teaching is not Christ's and God's heart. It's something else. Well, and here's the thing: success. Whenever you see a guy like this mm-hmm. successful, that successfulness is always defined in terms that are not heavenly definitions of no, success. Right. In yeah, this area. yeah. People you're jumping right. around during worship. You know, let me tell you. You may visit a church like that and say, wow, this place is alive. Look at these people. Their hands are in the air. They're crying. They're sobbing. But you don't realize, and and this is, people may not like this. you do not understand the degree of manipulation that went What's into happened? making these people sure. do this. Sure. Almost like show dogs so that when you visit... It appears the way it appears. Sure. And, and, I, and I, I have seen it. I have watched it sure. where you show up to these churches and people are doing this. And at first you're mesmerized. It's like something's happening. I'll tell you what's happening is before you got there, there was such a level of manipulation put on those people to where they're doing it. Well, just for to years, please too. Them. They are nothing for, but for, a circus act. I, I would even say generations. For yeah. generations, those, those manipulative. I, and I, I the 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 name that just came to mind is not church. The name just came to mind was Bon Jovi, and I was thinking, you know, when I pay for a ticket to go to a Bon Jovi concert, and I'm from the '80s. I mean, I've, I was born in 1970, so I was a teen in the '80s. And so Bon Jovi was the type of thing that yeah. I loved. I mean, Journey. In fact, if I could if I could transport back and buy a ticket in like 1983 to a Journey concert, I would be in hog heaven. Yeah. I would, I would I, be. I would, ju- I would never sit down. Yeah. And it wouldn't matter because I was at the Journey concert in 1983. It wouldn't matter who the openers were. It could be like the worst openers on the planet. I'd be standing because it's Journey. I'm here for Journey. Like old Chicago, the old Peter Cetera Chicago. I'm thinking of these bands that I liked. Okay. I, there is no manipulation in Journey standing up there and singing. Right. There is manipulation in a way. I, I mean, uh, we, we sing. We do things that make you like the music. Yeah. And you paid. You paid for a ticket to come in here. Sure. And when I leave, there is no expectation that Journey places on me to do anything. Yeah. I got what I wanted. They gave me what I wanted. I gave them what they wanted. I buy some merch. I gave them more of what they wanted. Yeah. And we both leave where the transaction has occurred and is closed and until I buy a Journey album or something like that or, or whatnot. The, the challenge of what we're talking about in church is that the transaction that's happening is not the worship. And, and th- I, like 
so much, so much of what we are talking about in terms of being set free is to understand the transaction that's occurring, that God does not want worship. God wants your heart. And if worship is part of your deal, like I personally am a very musical person. I still listen to worship music. I still sing in the car. I do not need a worship service to find my place of musical worship. Why? Because that's my cup of tea. I've got a good friend. I'm sorry to interrupt it, but but to... Because I think most people listening to that would say, yes, I agree with that. But if you're going to a church where the worship is the big deal, it's, it is always that temptation to say, why am I not jumping around like these people? And sure, no, Meg, be embarrassed. Meg's had like, to deal with that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I feel bad. And, you know, and, the, and you're going through this whole game, you know, I, I love him. I worship him. I was in the car today, and, but now here, no, you're right. Seem right. You're right. That's true. And, and, but that's because it, the, the transaction that's occurring isn't worship. Exactly. exactly. The, the worship that happened in your car was worship. Right. It was, it was, there was absolutely no, uh, there was no condescension when you didn't do what, what was required. Right. right. And there's no manipulation. Manipulation right. when you do what they want. Right, Meg and I, um, the, and we went we went the whole route on this because we were raised assemblies. We were both raised in mm. in a, a very Pentecostal assemblies church, and uh, we were at uh, uh, South Sound, and, and we were doing our thing. And, and a good friend of ours, who's, who was the worship pastor for years, Art Williamson, was up front, and Meg and I were driving home after church, and she she it was a it was a what I would call a great worship set. And uh, Meg said, I just didn't feel it. And we got into a conversation about her style of worship. Her style of worship in church is not bouncing around. And it's not even singing. She doesn't enjoy singing with other people. She enjoys just standing there and listening. And she's been chastised. And she was a pastor's wife. She got chastised by another pastor's wife once. And because she's not being expressive and performing for other people. And and I think pastors, pastors, wives in particular. That's that's the other side of this. Oh, my gosh. They need a retreat. (laughs) Because because they have have given themselves over to... Gee, if, if we're doing a good job, these people are going to be expressive naturally in worship. So you find yourself berating them, saying, what's wrong with you people? Yes. Yeah, be, because you're taking it on yourself. Like, yes. this is your fault. Yes. And this weighs at the end of the heavily day. at the end of the day, and yeah. it begins to destroy you over time. This is why pastors and their wives are so broken. What they need is someone just to talk to who's not going to right. tell them, quit your job. No. You know, go start it. You know, but somebody who's just going to understand and help dismantle this way of thinking that we were raised with in that world. Yeah. Bottom line, I mean, the, the several things we talked about today, both of our hearts are the same in the fact that I, I just want to bring relief <laughs> to people who are struggling, people who, who are in bondage. I was in religious bondage like I can't even describe to you the first 10 years of my Christian walk. Yeah. And now when I see it in anyone, uh, I do whatever I can to take the load off. It's the only thing in my mind. And I even find myself, as fact, I was talking to a guy, uh, crazy story. He was taking me to the airport, a very close friend of mine. Mm-hmm. I was in California last week. He's taking me to the airport. And he was telling me about this man he worked with for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was his boss and how close they were. And this boss just loved my friend, just loved him. And, uh, 
and his boss later, you know, they knew each other for years and he ended up getting sick and finally he died. Mm-hmm. And uh, all my friends, friends came to him and said, did you tell him about Jesus? Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, it wasn't like I really had a chance. And you could see him doing what we all do. Like, oh, no, he's in hell now because because I didn't tell him about Jesus. I could see him doing that mm-hmm. because we've been trained to think that way, mm-hmm. that God left the eternal salvation of this one person's soul in the hands of another human being, which is just audacious. But we're taught that. Yeah. And I can see my friend in his heart saying, oh, I, you know, I, I, there was never really an opportunity where it would be appropriate. You know, and I totally get what he was saying. Yeah. And I finally said, I said, you know what? I said, listen. I said, I remember Jesus saying to the people once, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Father. Yep. I said, you know, I don't know. I said, I'm not even bringing out a new teaching. Yep. I said, but I know this, that this man looked at you and knew you mm-hmm. and loved you. Mm-hmm. And I said, if he's seen you, he's seen Jesus. Mm-hmm. And and in the end, it it may be that his adoration of you was an acceptance of Christ. I don't know. Some people may get mad. Don't leave your comments. Keep it to yourself. I'm not, I'm not teaching a new message. But <laughs> here's, here's the point in the story. Yeah. The point in the story, because you know, even when you hear that, there's a part of you that almost resonates with it. Like, wow, sure. he accepted him. You just feel it, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm not even saying it's true, though. But... Uh, I believe, I believe that's probably the case. Yeah. Personally, that's just my belief. But my point is, is when I'm listening to this man tell his story about his boss and how he passed away, and I could feel the pain in his heart, like somehow he had failed the man by not leading him through a prescribed sinner's prayer like he learned in Sunday school. All I could think about was bringing relief to this man. Yeah. And this is what just came right out of me. And in my heart... Looking back on it, I think there's some serious consideration to what I had said to this man. But my point is, is that I will go to any length to relieve people of guilt, of shame, of all these condemning, dark cloud, heavy yokes on their heads that religion has put on them over the years. And even in the end, if I'm wrong about that, I don't care because I got out of that car and that man felt better. Yeah. That day, and that's all I care about. Honestly, yeah. that's that's why I do everything I'm doing, and, and I'm Darren. Me, Darren Hufford, is yeah. talking about starting a church. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what, what, is, what is? Does that even make sense? That's like Mister Rogers drinking a beer or something. You know, it doesn't even make sense. But but you know what? I'll go to any lengths. I don't care sure. if all my free believer friends call me a traitor and run away because it's never been about church for me. This is about helping people and relieving them from the bondage. And I know your heart's the same, and I know Brandon thinks the exact same way. So, there's a, a just the picture that's in my head is the the father of the prodigal son just standing and oh. not requiring his son to go through a bunch of steps and not requiring his son to feel the shame of his his oh. incredibly rebellious acts and his his selfishness and his arrogance and and all that. But just when he comes back, it doesn't matter. You're my son. And I, I can so see, yeah. you know, yeah. the like the the wheels and oh, the yeah. brains of a young man like that trying to tell his dad how he needs to pay and how he needs to just live, you know, out in the shack, out in the back. And I don't want because it, it almost when 
when you've been in the church long enough, you almost feel like you need to do some penance when well, somebody says... And even when you hear the prodigal son story, you yeah. hear it in terms of, yeah, but remember, the boy was That's repenting it. and coming home, and then the father came. It's like, no, no, no the way I read it, the boy dad. was thinking to himself, you know what, maybe my dad's dumb enough to hire me <laughs> as one of his workers, and I'll get a job. That's not him. even it. There was, there was no repentance in that boy. He mm-hmm. was going back because he knew he could get a job there. Sure. And it wasn't, I'll go back and plead my case. My, I mean, literally, he was just on his way back to get a job, hopefully. And it's, I don't even see that as repentance. It's as the dad's my, heart. That, you know? It's the dad's heart that matters. And, and the dad's heart comes running out and yeah. grabs him and pulls him in. That's and, what it is. Yeah. You know, when I, I'll tell you, when you're a parent... A lot of this stuff begins to make a little Makes bit sense. more yeah. sense. Yeah, you know, I I saw a case where some kid on TV had murdered this girl, and it was awful. I mean, mm-hmm. he did it. He and his buddy planned it, and they did it. And it was amazing watching. Now, now the kid's in jail for life, and the mm-hmm. parents are trying to get him out. Mm-hmm. You know, he probably, need, you know, he did, and the kids, he did the crime, but he did it. You know, yeah. But it's amazing to watch the parents. Yeah, you can't. Well, mother and father, they're like, they're like, yeah, he he did it, but yeah, he he didn't mean to do it. He wasn't. He wasn't himself when he, he could just. Yeah. And and you know, as as much in our society, you're like, well, you know, sorry, but that's you know, but as a, when you understand the heart of God, it's exactly His heart. It's like. Yeah. I just don't think God's going to be going down and saying, well, you know, it says in this scripture and so and says in that scripture and these are the principles and you didn't. That's not the heart of a father is, look, I don't care what it says. This is my son. This is my daughter. Yes. And my DNA is in them and they belong to me. And so anyway, hey, we're out of time. Thanks, guys. I, I can't wait to see your comments. If you leave them, leave nice ones. <laughs> yeah. You've just been released into the wild. So that was the idea of Darren and Hans and how they want to plant this church to show people that they don't need to do this Sunday morning church activity that most people think of as church really maybe isn't church after all. And and um, anyway, I would appreciate your input, insight on this, some of your questions, comments, objections, that sort of a thing. You can do that by going to theology.fm slash Darren Hufford slash 15. Uh, for myself, I loved how they not only have a heart for helping Christians see a revelation of God's love and grace, but even how they mentioned they have a heart for helping pastors escape the bondage of expectations and rules that pastors so often live under. Uh, I remember so clearly when I was a pastor living under those expectations, uh, I would have loved for someone to come alongside me, put their arm around my shoulders and say, you don't have to do this. These expectations, these fears, the way you're being manipulated and trying to manipulate people, even though I didn't think I was doing that, I would have loved for someone like Darren and Hans to come alongside me and show me a different way to teach me what they are saying in this sort of podcast and what it sounds like they're going to try to be saying to this church that they're thinking of planting. Also, uh, did you catch it there at the end? Uh, There was another little tidbit there about the prodigal son. I've talked about that in previous podcasts. 
sort of uh, gave more insight on that wonderful parable, which we heard N.T. Wright explain in the last Theology.fm podcast. If you missed that, you got to go back and listen to it. I love how N.T. Wright unfolds and explains Scripture, and how he explains that episode, the parable of the, the prodigal son, is very insightful as well. Uh, anyway, I would love to hear what you think about this church planning idea by Darren and Hans. Again, you can leave a comment, question, objection at theology.fm slash darrenhufford slash 15. And uh, make sure you tell your friends and family to subscribe to theology.fm, the podcast here. In two weeks, I have an interview, my very first interview that I'm doing on the theology.fm podcast. And it is one of my, it is, uh, I'm interviewing one of my heroes, uh, co-pastor of The Refuge, Kathy Escobar. She's a co-pastor of The Refuge down in Denver, Colorado. I was down there in Denver recently and was able to catch up with her and sit down with her for a couple hours and interview her. The interview is only a little bit, about an hour or so, but some of the things she shared about what she's doing and sort of the heart and passion that she has for helping people that don't fit in to the normal church structure. She even has some surprising and challenging things that she would like to say to pastors and church leaders in the United States today and around the world. I think all of it you're going you're gonna to just really, really enjoy. You're going to see her heart and in so doing, see the heart of Jesus. That's why we do what we do here at Theology.fm. I hope that everything we share with you not only helps you understand theology, but more importantly, helps you see and understand the heart of Jesus, the love of Jesus that he has for you and that he wants you to reflect to a watching world. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time when we pick up with my interview with Kathy Escobar at theology.fm.